What's up, everybody? It's Power Rankings Podcast, a.k.a. The Power Rankings Show. I'm your host, Elliot Harrison, and I am pleased to be joined by uh, a huge fan of pro football on this Thursday night at Marcus underscore Mosher. Hello. Elliot, did you ever get nostalgic about things that, like, you know you're going to have for the last time? Like, uh, I'll give you an example. Today I was driving by uh, our local McDonald's, and I saw that they had, like, this farewell tour for the McRib. So I got one, and I enjoyed it, and I savored it, and I was just remembering all the good McRibs I had. Uh, A fond memories, right? Um, I did not have those memories uh, when I watched Marcus Mariota play for the last time ever today. It was not nostalgic at all. I'm not saying that he's going to get benched or anything happened to him. I'm just never going to watch him again. I I made a promise to myself. That was a long walk. Uh, (laughs) Do you remember... Since we're at that time of year and we're talking about reminiscing about McDonald's, uh, there used to have those those Christmas uh, like gift certificates to McDonald's. They were oh, red. Yeah. They yeah. looked like little checks almost yep. for like five bucks. Or like a, or, I got like a small fry, like a free small fry. Yeah, five bucks would probably buy you a small fry with inflation right now. But yeah, good talk. So uh, Marcus Mariota was uh, just north of terrible tonight. Uh, the Falcons and Panthers played in a game that was on and off again, pouring. Uh, it was drizzling, then pouring, then it quit raining, and then it would come back. Uh, Carolina wore uh, jerseys that looked like straight out of the 1982 movie Tron. Mm-hmm. Um, how do we feel em. about the jerseys? Didn't hate them. Yeah. Better than Washington's. I'll yes. tell you that right now. Better than the Orange Bears. I would be fine um, if Carolina made those their full-time unis. I thought they looked good. Yeah, I checked the eight official Carolina Panthers team accounts on Twitter, and uh, <laughs> one of them said, Don't boot us, Elon, please. We like our podcast. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, anyway, Carolina held on, uh, beat the Falcons in a game that was close in score, not necessarily close on the field. Somehow Atlanta had a chance there at the end. How much do you want to talk about this game? I think we did enough. I, it, it's time for the Desmond Ritter era. That's all. I can't disagree with you. Although, I mean, look, the last couple of plays, that last play was an abomination. The uh, the rush around the end, the right tackle. Can, I, we, can we just I, talk about that last drive for a second? So Atlanta gets the ball, what, two minutes, 30 seconds left with a timeout. And their four plays to finish the game were a run that lost three yards, a sack, an incompletion on a terribly thrown ball in a sack. Those are your four plays to end the game, down by seven. I mean, it's pretty apparent they don't trust Marcus Mariota to throw down the field. Do you disagree with that? I mean, it's just true. Okay. The offensive line was not good. Um, they got demolished uh, up front in the passing situations. But why not, on first down, why not go play action? And run a crosser with Cordero Patterson. Get the ball into your best playmaker's hands. Get the get your quarterback out of that collapsing pocket. I don't care if it only gains five yards. It's it's or a why five not yard play that a, could turn a, into fifty. You had the the two minute warning right there. Why not just run like a, a delayed quarterback draw and just get him up the field and get some positive yards and get to third and six or third and five. And it's, who knows, Mariota's a good runner. Get him to get him to third and short. It was disgusting, but in, you know, the good news is you are ahead of me in picks this week, which is very rare. How does it feel for one to know, baby? I almost wore my championship belt uh, on the podcast because probably the last time you'll be ahead of me. Uh, Panthers ran for two bills tonight. Deontay Foreman had over a hundred yards rushing. And I was just asking you before the podcast, how many 200 yard rushing games have we had this year? And it turns out 29, this would have been the 30th. Okay. Mm -hmm. And at this point last year, Marcus looked it up right before we got on the podcast. There were 12. That is an insanely huge gap. 30, 200-yard team rushing performances this year. That's one team. I don't mean in a game by both teams. It's one team running for 200 yards, 30 already this year. And at this point last year, there were 12. The league is running. Um, I've told you I thought a lot of it had to do with the changing body types. We talked earlier tonight. You think, uh, we think that you haven't challenged him enough. You think that this is kind of contributing to a little bit of the more boring aspects of this NFL season. So kind of explain your thought process there. Well, I think tonight's a perfect example, right? You had a team run for 200 yards 
And that same team had one offensive lineman with four penalties. They just couldn't sustain drives. There's no big plays. And you end up keeping games close that you probably shouldn't have been close. Like Carolina absolutely dominated this game by any measure that you want to you wanna have. And Atlanta had a chance to, to tie or win the game at the end, right? Because of mm-hmm. just kind of the game flow. And it just doesn't seem like we have great play despite these teams running the ball so insanely efficiently right now. It's not, it's not that I hate running the ball because you know that's not the case. It's just it doesn't make for a super watchable product when teams aren't doing it extremely well. Yeah, well, I think one of the things that it does is it, it it it's something that you mentioned to me on the phone earlier, which I thought was very astute, and you just um, you just kind of laid out that it's keeping the games close, which is making coaches coach it differently, and you're not seeing quarterbacks, you're not seeing a lot of exciting football. What what I said to you after that though was I think that a lot of quarterbacks in the league, especially the younger quarterbacks, get used to being able to get into a rhythm by having five pass plays in a row, three of which are bubble screens and quick slants. And it takes a special kind of quarterback to be able to hand the ball off three plays in a row and then go and throw a, yes. a dime on a yes. skinny post. The quarterbacks in say the nineties, when this was normal, like a Troy Aikman or a Steve Young, they were used to doing this. And it, you know, they understood that, yeah, maybe I'm handing it off to Ricky Waters. There's a name for you. Three plays in a row, but I'm able to go right out and throw John Taylor a 15 yard out outside the numbers on the money. Um, I don't think a lot of the quarterbacks are able to do that now. And what that really lends itself to, if you really want to simplify this, is we just don't have real quality quarterback play. We are in a definite ebb of the ebb and flow of quarterback play. Did Ricky Waters and John Taylor play like for the Broncos or something? I have no idea who those guys are. Are you serious? I'm joking. Of course I know. Those are 49ers. But, um, yeah, I, I agree. What what you're not seeing is teams give their quarterbacks a ton of like layup throws early in the game nope. to get them in rhythm because they're using the running game to basically be those layup plays. So that's why you see – across the league, like third down conversion rates are so much lower. And I think a quarterback that's really struggling with that right now is like Aaron Rodgers in, in Green Bay. They can run the ball insanely well on first down, second down. They get a first down on second down running the ball. Another first down run, and okay, it's second and eight. Rodgers, go make a nice throw. And he's just – either he's trying to make make it all up on one throw by playing hero ball – or he's just not comfortable in the pocket because he doesn't have the same number of dropbacks as we're used to seeing. You know, I think these guys are human beings and we all get into our habits. And if your habit, if you've gotten accustomed to getting layup throws to help you get into the rhythm of a game, even though you are capable of making a great throw on a skinny post or a corner route or whatever, you're used to being able to have this setup when that's taken away from you. And now you're being asked, no, we want you to make uh throw, you know, like I said, a 15 yard out on a rope without the benefit of having some layup throws early in the game. These guys aren't used to it or they're not capable, but either way uh, I think the, the, all the success running is actually contributing to quarterbacks, not playing as well. I, I will say this though, man, when you talk about the running game, there are ways that the running game is really exciting to watch. And there are ways that the running game is really boring to watch. Watching every team run RPOs and run out of shotgun is so boring. The running back gets no head start. It's the same thing by every single team. But when you see a Derrick Henry get to run out of a deep set, like he's in the dot, basically Mm -hmm. seven yards behind the quarterback, or even in a power eye with the fullback in front of the tailback, Now Derrick Henry's getting the ball running downhill. He's getting running momentum. It's so much more exciting to watch than watching a running back get the ball put in his belly, then taken out of his belly, and then put back in his belly. Am I I wrong here? I don't think we have that many fun running backs in the NFL right now, right? You and I were talking about this earlier today, which we should have just made a podcast, but how many like truly fun running backs are in the league right now? Like You mentioned Derrick Henry. He's one. There's uh, one. 
Tony Pollard, I think, is a, a lot yeah. of fun. We think Chubb. Nick Chubb is probably yeah. the best overall running back in the league. Um, I'm going to put Aaron Jones in there, even sure. though he's been hurt and he's underused. I think he's a fun running back. And we think Brees Hall was on his way yes, to being there. but he's hurt, so we're not counting him. And I think Kenneth Walker is emerging that way. This isn't to say these are the best running backs in the league because obviously Christian McCaffrey is near the top of the list, maybe. Um, but I, I just don't know if he's all that much fun anymore, right? Like he doesn't have a lot of super long runs. Yes, he's a good receiver, but a lot of his receiving stuff is done within five yards of the line of scrimmage. There's just not a lot of these guys. It's like you have to go see. And it really feels like to me the last running back that had a unique style of running was Le'Veon Bell. Like that's the last time we've had somebody whose style was so much different than everybody else in the league. Yeah, and then a couple years before Le'Veon Bell, well, there were contemporaries also. Arian Foster, Mm -hmm. I've said, is my favorite running back to watch in the modern era, just run the ball. You know, if we just go back to recent uh, eras – Troy Hamrick, yeah. Uh, if we go to, you know, um, uh, Avion Quezons of uh, the world. No, but if we just go to the 90s and early 2000s, okay, we don't have to go that far back. How many can we name? Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, Marshall Falk, Terrell Davis. You just go down the line. There's all these Jerome Bettis. Edger there's all these Edger and James. There's all these great backs who are fun to watch. Even uh, Jerome Bettis. Johnson was right, fun. For, yes. How about Mike Allstock? Totally. Yeah. Now it doesn't it doesn't mean that you didn't have guys like Christian McCaffrey who were really effective, but maybe weren't always the most dynamic to watch. So for uh, if we use Jerome Bettis as an example, Pittsburgh had a guy named Barry Foster who ran for like seventeen hundred yards in nineteen ninety two. Barry Foster wasn't particularly exciting to watch. Jerome Bettis was. So you can be a good running back without being uh, again particularly fun to watch, but. There's just hardly any guys that have unique styles. Now. I think like Alfred Morris is a great example of that when yes. he was with Washington, right? Like Alfred Morris was an awesome player. I don't know if players were all that, that tried to imitate his style or anything like that, no. right? LaShawn McCoy is was a guy that was fun to watch, I think, uh, yes. partially because he threw the ball out there like a loaf of bread. But yes. that's a good now, one. Some of this has been mitigated by it's fun to watch Lamar Jackson. It's fun to watch uh, Justin Fields run. But the the running back styles, and I think part of the reason why we don't see these great styles anymore is because the guys that you're talking about, Marcus, most of them were not running out of shotgun and they were not doing RPOs. In other words, they're getting the ball when the quarterback's coming out from under center. Well, think about it. The quarterback comes out from under center. They've got to run to where the running back is, and he's already moving. So Le'Veon Bell could already set up his patented spin move, you know, that he Mm -hmm. used to do in the hole. I loved Mm -hmm. that move, by the way. It was so awesome. But he was already setting that up when he was running towards the handoff that Ben Roethlisberger was about to get him, give him. Now, so many handoffs are out of the shotgun. You you have no momentum. There's not really much you can do. And so many of the run plays are just simple, basic, what I would call just zone blocking kind of stretch plays. Wide zone. Yeah, wide zone. It doesn't really lend itself to some of the famous stuff that if you want to go way back, the counter tray with John Riggins and the Redskins, uh, Emmett Smith with the lead draw. And then of course, Barry Sanders had all sorts of moves. So I'm not going to really compare Barry Sanders to anybody, but we don't have that in the league right now. So it makes the running game a little less fun. And the last point is, at least for me on this is there's too many running back by committees. How exciting is it to watch one running back come in get a carry, then another guy come in, get a carry. We had bona fide stars at the running back position. No one's going to do what uh, – we don't even have to name someone that's like one of the greatest ever. How about Jamal Lewis's 2003 season mm-hmm. when he ran for 2,000 yards? The only the only guy that's even remotely like that is, is Derrick Henry, and Derrick Henry is an anomaly. You're right. Um I still think teams are smart to use running back by committees because you can keep guys fresh and you can get guys with different skill sets and stuff. But in terms of like the viewer and the fan, I agree. Like we miss those stars at running back. And one of the things we miss is having these guys be stars for more than one or two years. Like look how fast the running back landscape has shifted. And all you have to do is go pull out your fantasy football magazines from like 2019. And you go through that list and, I mean, none of those guys are on the same teams. A lot of those guys aren't even playing anymore. Like, things just happen so fast at the running back position anymore. 
I'm torn on the idea of running backs by committee. I understand why they do it, especially with so many sub packages on defense. You've got fresh defensive players that are playing what, maybe 28, 30 snaps a game, Marcus. So they're not, they're not gassed like guys that played 60 plays per game mm-hmm. back in the day or 70 plays with very little breaks. But um, sometimes I wonder by having fresh legs in the backfield, I see where it helps somebody like Tony Pollard. I get that. But don't you think sometimes these guys hit the hole too hard and too fast? And if they would just be a little bit more patient. And when you have a back that's run 25 times in a game, like a Derrick Henry or an Emmett Smith, if you want to go older, sometimes it's that subtle little move before that jump cut that Marshawn Lynch used to employ. When you're just going back there and saying, I'm going to hit this thing as hard as I can because I have fresh legs. Sometimes you're hitting it too soon and you're not getting anything that's there where a little stop stutter and a jump cut would do you so much better. And I think a back that gets 20 to 25 carries can set that kind of stuff up throughout the game. I would also say, I think one of the reasons why you're seeing more teams use running back by committee is because I think let's use the nineties. For example, the, the thought process was, Hey, if we run the ball a lot with Emmett Smith in the first half, in the second half, those two and three yard runs are going to become nine and 10 yard runs as you wear down a defense, right? Mm -hmm. The problem is in the nineties, I mean, your 11 starters on defense played almost the whole game. Every once in a while you would rotate a guy or two in, but now you watch, you watch games and there's 20, 21 different players on defense playing. So I'm not sure how worn down those guys are by the fourth quarter because they're rotating so much and there's so many different packages and when it's time to actually run the ball, you can play three linebackers or three safeties or whatever. I think it's better just to have a guy that's fresher in the fourth quarter going up against other fresh guys. I, I would assume you would agree with the statement. The NFL is pretty cyclical. Like things come back around. Um, but, you know, maybe you don't. History itself is pretty cyclical. You know, quarterbacks in, say, the 1930s and 40s ran like crazy. They mm-hmm. ran like crazy. And you might laugh and say, well, that's totally different. I mean, if you if I gave you Bears offensive numbers this year, you might wonder what decade we're talking about. Yes. Um, And so I wonder if what you're talking about right now might not change either, because in order to run sub packages all the time with different personnel, they have to be able to know what they're doing out there. In order to know what you're doing, you need to play in the preseason and you need to have a lot of training camp. If you just play kind of the same, say, 14 core players on defense, they generally do know what they're doing out there. And I wonder if some teams are going to start playing some of their core players more and actually going to the sub packages less. I doubt it because of the 17-game schedule. And I think teams teams have done a better job of like – knowing the effects of playing a guy's, you know, a ton in September and October. Uh, I I know like for the Cowboys example, for example, they have these little like GPS trackers that the players wear, not only in the games, but also in practice. And they can kind of tell when a player has been overworked and been, you know, running too much and is, uh, you know, susceptible to hamstring injuries and that kind of stuff. So I I don't think you'll see teams all of a sudden playing guys 90% because, by the time we get to mid-January, they're just going to be gassed. Well, you, you may be right, but I don't think anybody thought the NFL was going to get start getting smaller and sleeker. And that's what we've seen with linemen. We've seen it with linebackers. We've seen it with safeties. So you may be right. Uh, I don't mean to say that defensive linemen are going to be playing 70 plays a game. I just meant that maybe the prolific use of sub packages may go down a hair. I- I think there's a chance that there'll be teams that say, here's our 14 guys and we're only playing 14 guys, right? Or 15 guys. Maybe there's a one guy at defensive line, one linebacker, two sec- secondary guys or whatever, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that's possible. But I I, I was watching a, a football game. I was watching the Steelers-Colts playoff game uh, from 2004, 2005, the Bettis fumble mm-hmm. game. Yeah. And I was watching Pittsburgh's defense, and they never took guys off the field, ever. Like, their base defense was a base defense that never came off the field. It was kind of crazy, just considering you watch tonight's game, 
And hey, it's second and eight, and here comes a brand new defensive line on the field uh, after one play. It's it's crazy. The idea of playing fifteen guys, let's say, you might say, well, how can you sub for your defensive lineman if you're only playing with fifteen core players? Because you could have a guy like if we use the Cowboys, like Sam Williams, who literally can replace all the guys on the defensive line because the body types are yeah. not as different. So if you take the Steelers from 05, you're talking about uh, Brett Kiesel, Casey Hampton, and what, Aaron Smith, right? Those were the three. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Those guys were big dudes. You could not you could not get James Ferrier to line up at Brett Kiesel's position Correct. in that 3-4. Yeah. You could have Micah Parsons literally play Leighton Vander Esch's position and then go line up where, where Tank Lawrence was. Well, there, there's and, not and the big di- discrepancy. And what you could have, it, we even see it like from Dan Quinn's defense. I don't mean to turn this into a Cowboys podcast, but they'll be in a traditional 4-3 look on one play, 4-2 look really. And then on mm-hmm. the next play, it looks like a 3-4 with the Marcus Lawrence kicking out as like a five technique. And now Micah Parsons is playing as an off the ball linebacker rather than a defensive end. So it, it, you could take off one defensive lineman and put in an extra safety. If you want to play three safeties, yep. like teams are so multiple that way anymore that, I mean, you can, I wouldn't be surprised as you get like into the playoffs, if teams shorten up the rotation, almost like they do in basketball, in the NBA, right? During the regular season, you play 12, 13 guys, but when it really matters, Here's our eight guys, and we're riding with those eight guys. Uh, just to give you all some numbers, uh, all the teams in the league are averaging 0.2 yards per carry more than last year. So last year is 4.3. This year it's 4.5. And I can tell you when I was coming up in football, if you were averaging 4.5 yards rushing as a team, you were killing it. You were killing it. Now there's like eight or nine teams that are averaging over five yards, and the league average is four and a half yards a carry. Uh, the teams are averaging five yards more per game rushing each team. Um, if teams, if this trend were to continue and this, these numbers even go up more and teams run even more, all the more reason to play less defensive players because you're not out on the field as much yep. because running the ball shortens the game. It makes me laugh sometimes when people look at the old passing numbers from the guys in the fifties, let's say, and they see they threw for such little yards and touchdowns. And it's like they ran the ball so much back then that not only did that take away from the amount of pass plays, like your run-pass ratio, but when you run the ball, you quicken the game. So there's oh, yeah. actually less total plays. Uh, so it was really like a double whammy. If I, I hope I'm making sense here. Um, but interesting thing. So you said you didn't want to make it a Cowboys podcast. So let's switch to a different team. Let's talk Green Bay. Um, Green Bay is a team that has probably the best tandem of running backs in the league, if we're talking talent. I mean, who would you put over them? Uh, Cleveland certainly has a really good I'd say Cleveland, but Green Bay's, I think, in the next tier, right? Yeah, they're they're right there, okay? Um, But they haven't really done this. You know, they keep kind of trying to win through Aaron Rodgers in the passing game, and it's not working. It's not working at all. Well, to be fair, I, I think Matt LaFleur has tried to do this. I think Aaron Rodgers is the one that's kind of checking out of this a little bit, right? Yeah. And so now we could get into a whole long discussion. uh, And we've talked about this on our pod before about whether or not defenses are kind of, again, using Dan Quinn. If you run the ball on Dan Quinn, he's like, fine, go ahead, run the ball. We'll let you have your five yards, but we're going to, we're going to get you on the passing down and our, and we have a good enough offense now with Dak back. We'll be, we're going to do great. But um, I think a team like Green Bay that has two really great backs, they could absolutely take advantage of teams like the Cowboys that really aren't playing the run uh, very stringently at all. And you wouldn't, to your point, hey, why can't you give Aaron Jones 17 touches and A.J. Dillon 14 touches? Sure. You're not overworking. They're two different style backs. If the game's close and you feel like the Cowboys are a little bit gassed late in the game or whoever your opponent is, run A.J. Dillon at him over and over. You think a tired player wants to tackle A.J. Dillon's thighs when it's 35 degrees at Lambeau Field in the fourth quarter? No way. I I do think it's – I actually think it's more fascinating on the other side of the ball because there's certainly a – a cutoff, and I don't know what the the, the number is or what the stat is where – 
if a team is so run heavy, but they're only averaging, pick the number, four and a half yards per carry, right? That might seem mm-hmm. like a lot, but if you have to average four and a half yards per carry to go from the 25 to the end zone, more often than not, something bad's going to happen. Somebody's going to slip. There's going to be a penalty. It's really hard to sustain drives. But there is a tipping point, right? If a team is averaging seven yards per carry, now it's actually detrimental to your defense, right? I just don't know what that number is, and I don't know what defensive coordinators are going to be comfortable giving up, right? How, what, what, is the, what is the number or the yards per carry that a team would have to average for a defensive coordinator to be like, okay, we can't just stay with five or six guys in the box. Now we've got to actually worry about stopping the run. Yeah, this is where we get into some serious Marcus Mosher territory because we're going to really stat nerd it. But there's two substats that I think are really important. One is rushing effectiveness on first down. If you're averaging, let's say, five and a half yards per carry on first you're down, great. you're you're killing it. Yeah, yeah, you're basically telling your quarterback you're getting a second and four, second and five every time out, uh, every possession. You know, like mm-hmm. that. That's a wonderful thing. Second, not to mention demoralizing for the defense to constantly just be getting gashed on first down. The other one is this goes back uh, quite a ways when I was a kid. John Riggins was a big star when I was a kid, but you know, people look at the back of his football cards and people look at his numbers now and they're like, well, he only averaged 3.9 yards a carry or whatever. John Riggins was being used on every third and a foot, every fourth and one, every goal line carry. If you're allowing four and a half yards a carry as a defense, but you're getting killed on every short yardage play and every uh, inside the five play, that's just as bad. Because yes, it and brings no. the I mean, yards per carry down is what uh, I'm saying. Right, right. I don't think defensive coordinators – got to make sure I word this the right way. I don't think that they think it's the end of the world if somebody converts a third and one running the ball because what that means is you're not creating a big chunk play elsewhere, mm-hmm. right? You're living to fight another down. With unless the you've be- had trouble getting off the field. Unless you've had trouble getting off the field. But a third and one conversion from – your opponent's 40-yard line is not that big of a deal, right? Now, mm-hmm. if it's on the goal line, that's different. It's just I, I'm so curious to see at what point will, will defensive coordinators finally be like, you know what, we're getting too gashed in the run game. Let's bring that extra safety up to stop the run because I haven't seen it this year. I've seen teams play cover two shell all the time and just dare teams to have 10 and 12 play run you know, drives Detroit was the perfect example last week against Green Bay. Green Bay racked up a bunch of yardage, and they scored nine points. Kansas City did the same thing against Tennessee last week. Right? They they had 500 yards of offense, and they scored 20 points, and it took overtime to do it. Like, I think these teams are learning that just points don't really come out of the run game. You know, this is really where defensively having uh, Honey Badger – or Darren Woodson, or Brian Dawkins, uh, early in his career, Brian Dawkins, uh, where your safety could walk up and cover the slot potentially. Because if your safety, I mean, you know, I, I remember Jason Seahorn telling me that he, he thought Darren Woodson was the most talented player on the Cowboys because when the Giants would trot three wide receivers out there, Darren Woodson would, instead of the Cowboys sub, going to a sub package, Jason said, Darren Woodson always just walked up from a safety spot and covered the third receiver in the slot. So now you've got a, what, 200 and, what, 30-pound safety that's capable of covering a slot receiver, but now he's close to the box because the slot receiver is close to the box, and it's easier to stop the run game uh, that way. Whereas when you're in packages all the time with really light defensive backs, now as you're talking about, you have a decision to make. How much is too much, right? We're getting too gashed here. And by the way, do you even have a run-stopping, tackling machine safety on your roster? How many teams don't even have that guy on their roster? Oh, none of them. So, you know, I'm, I'm just um, – it, it's an interesting it, – it's, it's football theory, really. And I'm wondering which direction this is going to go. But didn't you say the Bears already have five 200-yard yes. rushing games? Yes. Um I got another thing that's going on that I think is happening. And, okay. And that what I've noticed across the league, and I actually have got some stats to back this up. Teams 
realize how important pass rush is. So they're trying to do everything possible to create a pass rush on quarterbacks. There was a, a really good conference at the Sloan conference, uh, a, a, a speech about how important pressure is to quarterbacks. And they showed all these different stats when quarterbacks are pressured, blah, 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 blah. Teams are stunning at a ridiculous rate. Uh, so for an example, again, I'm going to use the Cowboys because I have the data right in front of me. The league average last year for stunts on third downs was 12%. Okay. The Cowboys are averaging 60% stunts on third down now. Okay. On first down last year, the, the highest team in the league was the Cowboys at 14%. The Cowboys are at 40% this year. What they're basically saying is if we can stunt and create pressure on first and second, third down with the quarterback, we're okay giving up big runs because obviously what's going to happen when you stunt, you're having players go into different gaps. You're going to be susceptible to giving up long runs, but teams don't care because they value pass rush that much. And you're seeing across the league, the average uh, stunt rate for teams now is 32%. It was at like 12, 14% last year. That, that's a huge reason why you're seeing teams run the ball more. Yeah, you have stunts, you have twists, but basic basic stunt would be a defensive tackle, uh, maybe moving to his right, taking the guard and the tackle with him while the defensive end loops around up the middle. That's a stunt. But when you're doing it, that takes time. And if there's a running play, the back can get right through that seam. Um, uh, You know, it's a really interesting thing because it it really comes down to how you want to play it. I just would, the only thing that I would push back on is number one, that this isn't necessarily good for quarterbacks because I think this is good for Justin Fields to get the taste of winning. To, to be competitive and let's the bears are way more competitive right now. Builds um, confidence, that, right? The offense is putting up a ton of points. It, and I've said this many times, it allows your offensive line to go out and hit somebody instead of constantly being on their heels and pass protection all day that can get frustrating. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing. The other thing is something that you talk about a lot with quarterbacks. You, when uh, your favorite backup quarterback in the league, Cooper rush was playing for the Cowboys. You were worried that if Dak came back and they kept the same formula, that what happens when the Cowboys get in the playoffs and they need to get in a shootout, you're not used to being able to do that. Mm -hmm. I would say similarly, if you're used to always throwing on, say, third and a long one or third and two, and you only run when it's like third and a foot, it makes it a lot harder to punch it in from the the goal line. Like when you really need to get short yardage, you want to have some reps at that. Kansas City struggled with that in the playoffs last year against Cincinnati, right? There like, you go. Uh, they were so used to just being able to throw their way out of any problems that they got to a team that was really good at defending the pass, and when they needed to run the ball on third and short, they couldn't do it because, number one, they just didn't have that guy in the roster. Their offensive line's not built that way, right? So I don't disagree. That's why I still think, as old school as it might seem, I still think a balanced offense is the toughest offense to stop. And the numbers will not support that because a balanced offense will never total the same amount of net yards as a passing offense will because running the ball shortens the game and shortens the amount of plays that you run. And a lot of times you're running the ball more when you have a lead, which means you don't have to have the huge offensive numbers. I I just disagree that like the 49er style of offense always translates to a lot of playoff success. I know they've won some games, you know, over the last couple of years or whatever, but I still think when you get into these big games, you need to have a quarterback that you feel comfortable with dropping back 28 times. Like that's not throwing the ball a ton, but on third and nine, you bet you better have some confidence that your quarterback can make that throw and get you, you know, into the into the red zone and win in the red zone. I think sometimes those those teams they try to limit their quarterback too much, um, and I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a perfect example. And when they, when you absolutely need him to put together a drive, he just doesn't have a lot of experience doing it, or he's just not very good at it. Um, Which is, I was actually thinking the Eagles when I was saying this because. As explosive as the Bills have been, as good as Patrick Mahomes has been, I find Philadelphia to be really scary in the postseason because the Bills are so Josh Allen dependent. And the See, Eagles. It's funny can... that you thought of the Eagles, though, because I actually thought of the Vikings. Oh, that's that's I'm fine with that one too. The only element, though, that the Vikings don't give you is Jalen Hurts' running ability. Right. So 
Jalen Hurts, I think, could do what Justin Fields did to Miami. I think he's capable of it. Um, by the way, if y'all missed that, Justin Fields ran for what almost a buck eighty on uh, yeah. Miami. I've seen uh, Jalen Hurts have ninety-yard rushing games. Uh, he can do that. Okay, they can also just run the ball. Uh, they have a really good running back in Miles Sanders. They have proven, uh, especially last year when they got on a run where they were just, uh, I mean, pounding the ball. They can also throw it too. Jalen Hurts has uh, proven his uh, what's his accuracy this year? I think it's about sixty-eight percent, Marcus. That AJ Brown acquisition, and they have Devontae Smith. Um, they can do that too. So I guess that's I just trust the Vikings to throw me. the ball a little bit better in big games. Uh, perhaps, but I'll take Philadelphia's offensive line over Minnesota's. Although that, Minnesota's has been really good this year, they both have yeah, really good offensive been better. Lines. Yep. Um, well, it's 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 an interesting topic to kind of see where the league is going. But I talked to Marcus about it earlier tonight, and then we saw Carolina go out, and I'm pretty sure Carolina got 200 yards rushing. I know Deontay Foreman was well over 100. I didn't see the final rushing numbers for Carolina tonight, but they were high uh, at one point. Now I want to look. I got um, 232 yards. Yeah, there you go, man. There you go. Um, I wanted to ask you this question a couple of weeks ago. I asked you on the phone. I'm just really curious because you have been so – you love Mike Vrabel. You love Mike Vrabel, Mm -hmm. but Sean McVay, you've thought, is the best coach in the league. Mm -hmm. But you're winning it. You have to win a game tomorrow. Coaching the same group of players, do you want Sean McVay or, or do you want Kyle Shanahan? Or Vrabel. You're saying Shanahan or McVay? No, Shanahan or McVay. I would still take McVay. McVay has just had it. He's he's been dealt a really bad hand this year, right? The offensive line's atrocious. Um, Atrocious, I almost messed up that word. Uh, Matt Stafford is clearly not healthy. The running backs can't create at all. And Allen Robinson's just a bad fit at this offense. I... Obviously, it's not going well, but I still trust McVay a little bit more than Shanahan, just a little bit. It's interesting that you said dealt a bad hand because you know they were talking about Steve Wilkes tonight, who admittedly has done a really good job. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, do you see the high school footage of him I did. running? He looked awesome. He was so fast. I mean, that was real speed. Uh, yeah. They were showing Steve Wilkes, Carolina's interim head coach, if y'all didn't watch the game tonight. Uh, in 1986, as um, he was in the class of 87, so this would have been 86 football season, and he was flying, and you you could tell this was real speed, man. Mm-hmm. And they interviewed his high school running back because he was the quarterback, and the high school running back's like, yeah, nobody could catch him, but it was pretty awesome. But what I was going to say is they were talking about on the broadcast that Steve Wilkes kind of dealt a rough hand. Robbie Anderson yes. got dealt, Christian McCaffrey got dealt. He's an interim coach, which is uh, hard already. And you're talking about Sean McVay. How about Arthur Smith, man? I mean, watching him on the sideline, watching him watch Mariota was like, oh, gosh. How how he's winning four games with a quarterback he doesn't trust to throw down the field, an offensive line that can look downright terrible, defensive personnel that other than one player, pretty much every team in the league would rather have theirs than Atlanta's. And once again, they're always competitive. And they're right there in the division. Yeah. The only tricky thing about this is at least Arthur Smith has been there multiple years, right? Yep. Yep. So he had, I'm sure he had a hand in picking Marcus Mariota. Um, I don't know. If they want him to cook the meal, they could at least let him shop for the groceries. He also had a chance last, last year to draft a quarterback. I know they had Matt Ryan, but... They had the fourth pick. They had the option to take Justin Fields, who was sitting right there. They wanted him. I got to tell you guys, like I said, we didn't want to make this a Cowboys podcast, but Marcus made a comment to me uh, earlier when we were on the phone that it seems like every team in the league is about eight different stages of the 2003 Cowboys with Quincy Carter. Yes. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I just think you guys should all know that Marcus has really been hounding me to do a creative project that he really oh, wait, believes don't spoil in. It. Don't no, spoil that it. he really thinks is going to just I mean, probably make his career take off. He wants to just, do missing we can tease it, right? <laughs> missing rings, the two thousand three Cowboys. I really want to see if I can get like Willie Blade to like narrate it for me or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, great. Yeah, really great stuff. Um, so that's pretty much all I have for tonight. Well, you had I a cowboy wanna... question for me, though, didn't you? Uh, I did. I did. Just let me get there. Okay, let okay. me get there. Uh, I did want to say that I've changed my mind on our picks from yesterday. So is Marcus. Okay. Marcus thinks the Raiders are bagging it. So not I'm not the saying that the Raiders anymore. aren't going to win, but I'm not picking them to cover a six. They're not the lock. Yeah. No. Uh, second point. I think as much as I'm against the double digit spreads and I've warned you guys about that, I think Marcus was right and I'm wrong. Uh, this is something you'll never hear him say um, about Philadelphia, Washington. That's Monday night, right? Yep. Uh, at yep. Philadelphia. I think that crowd's going to go wild. And I, I think the game's going to be close enough, but I think Philadelphia is, what are they favored by 10? Uh, 10 and 11. a half. Oh, it's 11 now. Okay. It's a little trickier than 10 admittedly, but I think Philadelphia is probably a better chance to cover that than Washington does. Um, yeah. Did you, uh, did you see some of the latest drama surrounding Washington? Oh no. Do I want to hear that? I mean, I don't make me mad. I'm in a good mood. We're almost out of here. Is it something to do with Daniel Snyder? Well, I mean, I saw that his, uh, the team is being sued by somebody in Congress or whatever. Uh, Wait, somebody in Congress is suing them? Yeah, there's like a civil suit going on because of some information that Daniel Snyder didn't give it. I don't, honestly, I don't know. Uh, oh, here you go. It's a spoke. It was a uh, the attorney general, uh, the DC attorney general, uh, is suing the Washington commanders. Um, anyways, that's not what I wanted to tell you about, which is kind of shocking. This is a statement that the commanders put out last night ahead of the attorney general's press conference, which was today. Are you ready? Wait, are you sure this isn't just some guy named Larry Clearwater sitting on his bed? No, this is the actual know, one. In his mom's basement playing Stratomatic football that now has a blue check as the Washington commanders? No. Sorry. Uh, okay. I'm going to read you the full statement, and I have to because it's kind of crazy. This is from the Washington commanders team account. Okay. Less than three months ago, a 23-year-old player on our team was shot multiple times in broad daylight Despite the out-of-violent crime in D.C., today the Washington Commanders learned for the first time on Twitter that the D.C. Attorney General will be holding a press conference to make a major announcement. The Commanders have fully cooperated with AG's investigation for nearly a year. As recently as Monday, we reached out to them, blah, 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 blah. Uh, it's unfortunate that it, this is the, in his final days of his office, Mr. Racine, I believe, appears more interested in making splashy headlines based on offbeat legal theories rather than doing the hard work of making the streets safe for our citizens and our players. Why, why do you throw Brian Robinson into a statement like that when you are being accused of covering up sexual misconduct in your office and all that stuff? Oh my gosh. Uh, this is just an appropriate time for me to remind all of you for the 185th time that this used to be one of the three most uh, desired franchises in pro football. Nobody wanted to play there. They had a huge fan base with a 20-year waiting list, 20-year yep. waiting list for tickets. They had a stupid, annoying band that played a dumb song. Every time they scored a touchdown and everyone went crazy and wore pig face noses stuff. Yeah, mm -hmm. I sound like John Madden. Stuff. I like stuff. Stuff. You know? And now this is what we get. This is a team that won three Super Bowls, everybody, with three different quarterbacks in a 10-year period, which is insane. No team's yep. ever done that. And this is what it is now. Garbage. It's just garbage. It really is garbage. Like It's literally like waste coming down from the – from the suite onto the fans. It's poor Brian Robinson. I just feel terrible for him, right? Like he fights, he fights back to get on the field. He wins the starting running back job. And now you've got the owner or whoever wrote that statement, basically using him as, it's, I don't know, whatever. Yeah. So dumb. It's, it, it's yeah, so dumb. Uh, I did want to ask you before we left, since we've, we just talked about uh, Washington and, and uh, Philadelphia. Um, lot a lot of we're going to cover the whole nfc's here a lot of splash 
in the media about a former giant of uh, some fame joining the Cowboys. I'm sure you guys talk about this on Locked On. Uh, Odell Beckham, who maybe made the greatest catch in regular season history uh, for the Giants against the Cowboys, maybe joining the Cowboys. Uh, one to ten, what do you think the chances are he signs with the Cowboys? I'm going to go like a solid seven. That's seems what I was going to go. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of smoke here, and I think it makes sense too. Um, a couple things. I think Dallas is a really interesting spot for him because, number one, everybody on his father's side lives in Dallas, and so he'd be kind of going home to his family. He talks about how he wants to play with a good quarterback and a good offense. Uh, I think Dallas has that. I know that we can debate on the quarterback spot. Uh, he also yeah, wants to He wants to play. The Cowboys have a good quarterback. Yeah. His name is Dak, by the way, just to let you know, just to, just to be clear. Uh, he talked about wanting to play in a warm-weather city. He's not interested really in playing cold weather, Cleveland, or the Giants. And I also think it makes sense for him long-term. He talked about on the Complex podcast how the next team that he signs with, he doesn't want to do it on a one-year deal. He wants to make this like a long-term stay for his next two to three years. And of all the teams that are interested, Buffalo, Dallas, the Rams, they're the only ones that have cap space and that could sign him and kind of play him this year, get him more into the fold next year. I think it does make a lot of sense for Odell. What's the Complex podcast? It's a website, and they have a podcast. Yeah, I didn't know if that was a new term, kind of like and I think it's technique. like an athlete podcast, right? Uh, okay, so it's not like you know exotic schemes. No, I was wondering where you were going there. I think the exotic <laughs> podcast is something way different. Yeah, and the the leader of it is now running for office in the state of whatever. Um, do you think, by the way, I just. I feel like with all the talk about the Cowboys and the Eagles this year, you know, the Giants are like right there, man. They're right there. I, I you know, just I think people are still very much in doubt that that's a really good team. Maybe so. Maybe so. But that's why uh, they're only like six point favorites against the Houston Texans, despite coming off a eh, bye week. Not fair. Look, it's a football podcast. We talk about football teams. You know, that's what we that's what we do here. Uh, listen, I've I've emptied my uh, my cash or cachet, as you'd like to say. Uh, so I give you the final thought, my friend. Yeah, how excited are you to see uh, uh, who's the backup for the Cardinals right now? Is it is it Colt McCoy? Is it Tommy Streeter uh, against John Wolford on a big stage? Uh, yeah. You know, Oh man, bring back some John Skelton football. That's what I always so say. So there, there's only three games in the afternoon slot. Okay, one is Colts Raiders, with the Raiders putting multiple guys on IR today and having players retire. The other one is a battle of maybe two backup quarterbacks with Kyler Murray and Matt Stafford both being out. And the other game is Cowboys Packers. Uh, do you think Fox is going to get some awesome ratings for that Cowboy Packers? Oh game? my gosh, yeah. Max Hall versus uh, who is the Rams backup that was there for like six, seven years? Um, ah, it's driving me crazy. Before they got Kellen Clemens, like 2014, 15, 13, Jamie, not Jamie. Um, I'm looking oh, it up right now. Come on. Help me out here. Uh, 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 Sean Hill. No, not Sean Hill. Austin Davis. No. Okay, well, those are, the, those are the two quarterbacks. Sean no. Mannion. No, not Sean. No, like back in 14, 12. That, that was, 14 was the Austin Davis and Sean Hill year. I'll go back further. 2013 was Kellen Clemens and Sam Bradford. Yeah. 2012 what is this was a bad quarterback. <laughs> Sam Bradford and Kellen Clemens. Yeah. 2011, let's keep going back further. Yeah. Uh, Sam Bradford, A.J. Feely, Kellen Clemens, Tom Brannister. Oh. Uh, 2010, just Bradford, only quarterback to throw a pass that year. Mark Bolger, Kyle Bowler, Josh Brown, I guess he was a kicker. Keith Null. Right, I'm sorry. I can't, I can't remember. Brock Berlin. No, not Brock Berlin. I remember Brock. That's a great football name right there. What's yeah. the best football name that you think you've ever heard? 
Well, when I, I was a little kid, is still a pretty good one. Yeah, that's a really good one. Uh, a couple of, uh, I mean, when I was a kid, I always thought Bronco Nagurski. Oh, that's like, a good one. Sounded like a football name. There was a guy that played special teams for Cleveland named Thane Gash, and I was like, mm. oh no, that's a sweet name. Um, he hate me definitely uh, near the top. I think the Brickishaw Ferguson. That was always my dad's oh, favorite a, name. Yes, that was. I know there's one where uh, we're totally missing i just know it but um ben DiNucci, i think <laughs> way up there up there in the stratosphere i mean all right i think the Dominican sue is always a pretty good name like if your first name is the Dominican, you gotta be an awesome football player right i uh, yes without question can we go i mean i think this lawyer is, malloy yeah um sam congato is definitely one of my That's favorites a good one. yeah are, uh, I'm trying you know, to think of some really other ones. Jammer. Pretty good name for a corner. I, I got to say, how about, that, how about Will so, Shields for an offensive lineman? Yeah, these these are these are solid. Uh, you really you really want to keep? I kind of do actually. I, I've, yeah. I've got a bunch of them off the top of my head. Jack the Browns Brown, had a big, thick center named Mike Bab, and he just looked like a center. And I remember a Lions defensive tackle named Doug English said about Mike Babb, he's as strong as nine acres of Texas onions. And I'm uh, like, how, about, how strong is nine acres of Texas onions? Peerless Price, second mention this week. This is just your podcast at this point. I'm I'm just Hanging out here, listening to you. I, I, listen, I'm gonna me. still go. I'm gonna go to Brickishaw Ferguson. That's the best name ever. Over Dick Butkus. Over Bronco Nagurski. Richie Incognito. That's a great one. That's that is absolutely a great one. But I think Bronco Nagurski. Yeah, me, I think Bronco Nagurski is the right answer. T- takes the cake. Takes the cake. Okay, I'm 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 calling it. I'm calling it. We're, We're good. good. Uh, listen, we will join you guys next week with our power rankings per the usual. We do that Monday night because Marcus is always excited after these primetime games. Um, you didn't say I hate Thursday night football once. This oh, I hate Thursday podcast. night football so much. I hate watching it tonight. <laughs> I, think, I think so did Al Michaels. I think Al Michaels is so annoying. Oh, yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Anyway, yeah, so Marcus uh, covers the Cowboys for Locked On Cowboys with Landon McCool. Give Landon a follow. Marcus also covers the Raiders, even though they've bailed, he hasn't. <laughs> and We're you can follow baby. him at Marcus underscore Mosher. I am at Harrison NFL, and we will talk to you guys this week. Enjoy your weekend of football and everything else, family and fun. See y'all later. Broncos country. Let's ride. <laughs>